Abby 150 to us. Abby 150 to us. <laughs> Abby 150 tell the damn story. Abby 150 to us. <laughs> oh, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity. And hopefully along the way, it helps you discover how you want to tell the damn story. I'm Chris Ryan, and with me, the legend, the star of the show, the one, the only, Alex Simmons. How are you, Alex? Hey, Chris, I'm fine. How are you? Hey, and it was great. It's great to hear a little, little blast from the past uh, intro, you know. Yeah, we're looking over the all, the entire um, career of Tell the Damn Story. That was kind of pulled back. The intro was a variation on what we did, not only with Alex Simmons, not only with me, but with the other co-founder, Tim Fielder. So on our 150th uh, episode, we want to say hello to Tim again. Yeah, we Tim, got Tim, 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 Bam, bam, bam. And uh, as we uh, as we look forward, let's check in, and then we have uh, the presents that we're going to give today. Yes, and yeah. you know, presents. Hopefully, that the audience will bearing. enjoy. Yes, we definitely come bearing presents. Yeah. But first, uh, my no. <laughs> how are you this week? What's going on, man? Oh, well, you know, it's 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 summertime, 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 and we you know we yeah. just had a great July. This is, by the way, August first, everybody. It's yeah, just a great July. And uh, actually, I'm feeling pretty damn good. The, the, the week was crazy, uh, working with uh, screenplay kids, and uh, young people, rather, not all of the kids, mm-hmm. that I worked with New York Film Academy. That was great. Had some great moments with them. I love watching young people discover that their ideas are valid or the story they've come up with or the character they've created has affected people. That was fantastic. I'm working on some projects of my own that you, know, you and I have talked about off camera. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about another episode. Um, as uh, stay tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. Be with us next yeah. week for it. Um, ah. And uh, you know, some some great family stuff and some you know you know we're in the middle of what we're in the middle of, but still you know people are holding it together and reconnecting Man. and finding ways to to uh, to embrace um, yeah. life as it as it is right now. And I and I did my part for that. How about you, sir? How well, are you? I have, I have, uh, I've been pretty good, pretty productive, and I have two uh, lessons for aspiring writers that I learned this week. All right, um, uh, as as we've been saying for way too many episodes, I'm working with uh, a special editor for the first time. Uh, this is our third time through uh, Steve Wall, and um, one of her notes. Uh, is one of the tips or one of the um, uh, things I want to offer today. She she loved this one. It's the opening chapter, and mm-hmm. um, uh, character is taking care of an intruder while talking to his wife on the AirPod. You know, uh-huh. and she said, "I love that. I, I really want to see some more of that." So, respecting her uh, immense talents, I did a lot of walking. And trying to figure out how to do it and all that sort of stuff, and that particular character goes on to a goes into a um, let's say a dark path in 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 his arc. So 
putting the two together, I realized that I could use how the phone calls with the wife changes to kind of measure the changes of the character. So it was a thing that I didn't know how to do and asking myself what if and playing around. It's been interesting. We're going to find out whether uh, other people think it works for the story. But, uh, you know, I think that was a good exercise. Uh, Secondly, um, those of you who are writing and submitting to, uh, whether it's writing contests, for me, I'm kind of in the anthology phase of my career, so I'm ready And, and having some success with that, I might add. Having, yeah, having some success. And then I, I saw this other one, and I, I had been working with this idea uh, for a while. It changed drastically since last time I mentioned it to you. But uh, there's this tree out my, uh, right opposite my backyard, of course, it's opposite my backyard. And it's got these growths on it, and uh, they look like faces. And I said, that's a story. And I figured it out. And for a while, I was telling you uh, that the uh, face looked like Thomas Jefferson. And I was going to do that. But um, I realized there was another group, and that looked like a face, face as well. And from there, I started getting this idea. And then I saw an open call for submissions. And the theme was like local myths and local horror stories. Ha! Bang! Boom! Cha! So here's the lesson for aspiring writers. Uh, read the entire submiss- submission um, uh, requirements and um, all the parameters, they're very fair. Um, I read and I focused on the deadline. It was today, August 1st, and um, I polished that story. It came out really good. And uh, I went to submit it this morning. I finished it last night and um, it said submissions closed. So I was like, what the hell? Right? But in the third paragraph, it very clearly says, listen, honestly, if we get an avalanche of stories, we may close early. It was right there, you know? So when you see the, the deadline, don't, that's, you're not done. Make sure you read all of the parameters, you know? And uh, I think this story is good enough to find a home somewhere else. So good. I'm not upset, but it, it immediately was a teachable moment that I wanted to share. So there you go. There you go. Look at that. We're only yep. a few minutes in and you already got two, two. Well, let me, let me two. throw. Tell the damn story. Something you just uh, said. Little tidbits there, audience. Yeah, look, bits and tids, right? <coughs> Something. Sorry. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm just <coughs> Something you oh, there's said. There's a bit. There's a bit. <laughs> yeah. Tied into uh, something that happened with one of my students, and I'll make it very, very quick. Too late. No, go ahead. Yeah, right. Yeah. Chris and I both uh, always advocate knowing your characters, getting to know your characters as well mm-hmm. as possible, right? And you were talking about the story about the faces and all that on the, tr- uh, the, 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 the growths on the tree that look like faces. One of the things I was talking to one of my students, <coughs> pardon me again, <coughs> I was talking to one of my students and they had just gone through the uh, 40 questions for character bios, developing character bios. And one did, of them, we post, did we post that? We did a couple of times. But you know what? I, I will post it again with this one. I will definitely put, you know, folks, Look, it's an excerpt from a longer list that I have that we might we might play around with in a later yeah. episode. Go ahead. We do have a 20-question one, too. That's but right. We'll give you anyway, some um, the kid was saying, I don't see the point. You know, so I just thought it was too much work. It's too much work. It's too much work. And I said, really? Okay. And he said, so uh, you have a character, and your character is this. And I just started asking questions. The more questions I asked, the more he and the other students went, yeah, what about this? What about this? And you just see the energy starting to right. build. And yeah. the kid finally goes, uh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So 
just good just, lesson. Good yes, lesson for that guy. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's not about the first idea is the best idea. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is about rethinking, looking no. at something from more than one angle because you never know what riches you may find. Yeah, I like to call that cooking it. You know, cooking. Yeah, you get the idea and then you let it cook around. You let it simmer in your brain for a while. You walk around. You, you know, go to the store, follow your wife around a mall or something. You know, and well, that's what I do. All the time. Wife around I go the with the goddess. You know, and she's she'll she'll go. I'm just gonna stop at this store for a minute. And I'm like, go ahead, don't worry about it. I'm working. I mean, yeah, you know? yeah. And then I'll play around and oh, what about this? What about you know? And and that's that's what we do. And as far as the uh, character bio questions, uh, and you said we're going to link some here, and, and maybe we'll play with some more. Uh, I think that lesson that the student learned is solid gold, because the more you know about your characters, the you know the more you know how they react. Also, the more you're open to seeing connections and seeing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the possibilities, you know. Um, this character we were talking about where the editor said she wanted to see a few more phone calls with the wife, um, he may or may not get possessed. That's for you to decide, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing I know about him is that phone call is like phone call Uberales, right? That phone call is more important than anything else. So, if it were to be challenged in any way, mm -hmm. he would react with extreme prejudice. And that opened up so many pro uh, possibilities. And that's what I think writers should, or creatives should open up with. So, look at that. We've gotten a couple of gifts. You're going to get a list of some questions. Yep. You got a couple of ideas. There you go. Um, we're going to go to news for a minute. Just a little bit of news, only one item, because we have a lot to do today. We cannot let the week pass without celebrating and saying happy birthday to uh, one yeah. of yes, Brooklyn's yes. best. Absolutely, yep. of all of history, this is one of the best to ever come out of Brooklyn uh, as a way of celebrating the birthday. Alex Simmons, please share with us your best memory of consummate Brooklynite, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> he turned 80 this week. Bugs turned 80. He's the daughter nice of memory. Memory. What do you think? a regular old-fashioned girl. Okay. Um, Bugs Bunny, it, so many memories of this character in my head. You know, uh, as a kid being introduced to the the cartoons that were, were present then, as opposed to the ones that had come before my, my entering the world, um, which, you know, can get controversial. But the Bugs Bunny that I grew up enjoying was uh, was funny and just um, just such a devil. I mean, he was what the things he did to Elmer and some of the other characters were great. And my favorite memory is um, driving Elmer Fudd nuts while he's hunting him. You know, that was that was such a classic shtick where this guy goes out, I'm hunting wabbits, right? He's out with a gun, and he's sure he's smarter than the creature he's after. He's more deadly than the creature he's after. He's definitely going to take care of this creature. And it's a rabbit, and the rabbit's just constantly, constantly, constantly outfoxing him. And I think that was, you know, to me, it was somehow you can always get over on the, on the character that theoretically is 
is bigger than you or a bully or whatever. I just remember, outthink them, outthink them, outthink. Oh, yeah. That was the thing that that I got out of Bugs yeah. for all those years. I wasn't as clever, or our, I didn't dress up the way he did too. He did some great oh. drag. He made a pretty, he made a pretty gu- a girl buddy. Yeah, um, but my, that was what I got. My, from Bugs. My favorite uh, Bugs is um, when the gangsters are there and he hides in the stove with the big white hat. Goes, yeah. All right, there, rabbit. Where are the gangsters? Uh, I, 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 they're not in this stove. If they're in the stove. Would I turn on the gas? Well, you might, Rabbit, you might. And it's Bugs doing both the voices. Yeah, that was fantastic. All right, so happy birthday to Bugs. We don't he's want to uh, uh, celebrate and run. Movie, right? I said he's I'm in sorry? shape for an 80-some-odd-year-old dude. Yeah, he's, he's spry yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish he was, you know, I, I wish he was as present for my, for my kids and for, uh, you know, the kids today because uh, he still is just... Hilarious, but you know, maybe we'll see him TV. somewhere. Um, it, uh, and also um, the summer. And mm-hmm. summers are usually writing conferences, but uh, our favorite writing conferences got coroned. And um, coroned, that's a new term now. <laughs> they got coroned. Yeah. They turned into a verb. Um, so what I uh, what we discussed was. You know, one way to celebrate would be to have a writer palooza, you know, and where we would go into our own uh, archives throughout the 150th episodes of episodes and pull out great interviews from uh, the two places that we uh, I know we did interviews from was uh, uh, Murders Inc. and mm-hmm. uh, Pulp Fest. Mm-hmm. So we have kind Pittsburgh of Pittsburgh and where? Where was the other one? One was in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, Murders Inc. is in uh, Jersey, like Central Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, Pulp Fest is uh, Pittsburgh, baby. Yeah, that's a long drive, but it's worth a while. <laughs> um, so we have um, a series of interviews for you, and we do them back to back to back. Don't worry, you got good identification of the author, the background, and we even tell you uh, which uh, fest we're at at the time, and um, we kind of help. We kind of create. We're gonna. Cr- Try to create a writer palooza, a writer's con for you to get a bunch of different information and to to enjoy the the voices and the ideas of different writers to celebrate our 150. And, and I think also I'll just throw in there very quickly. It's another way also of you guys out there, you know, you writers out there, understanding you're not alone. You know, some mm-hmm. of the things that these writers will share are are guaranteeing moments that you probably have felt or you've experienced as well. So. Just understand, it's a part of the process. Sometimes it's a part of the experience. But these these writers, male and female, will share with you some of the things they've dealt with and some of the tricks of the trade that they use. Yep. And um, we'll see you about uh, sometime during halftime. Yeah, halftime. We'll check in and see how you're doing. Yeah, so, I'll go get the, I'll go get the beer and the popcorn, right? <laughs> That's right. Sit back, relax, enjoy Writer Palooza. It's coming at you right now. Hey, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Hey, this is Chris Ryan from Tell the Damn Story, and yes, we are at the last day of Pulp Fest, still having a great time, and we're here with Jim Beard, another uh, writer who is here, giving us some new material. Uh, Pulp Fest has a lot of stuff from the 30s and 40s, but, uh, you know, Jim and I, we're, we're kind of the new breed, right? I would, Yeah, that's a good way of looking right? at it. I like that. So, Jim... 
tell us about the kind of stuff you do. It looked like a, 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 a wide variety. What I you... am all over the map. I love it. Yeah, talk, I, to us, talk to us. I got my fingers in, in, in everything. Uh, I call myself a, a writer of adventure fiction. Okay. Uh, but I, at the core of it, I am a pulp writer. Mm. And very proud to say that. I'm working in a classic pulp style. But my whole thing is is adapting it to to new things, finding ways of taking that wonderful punchy pulp style and and saying, hey, let's have uh, the adventures of a '60s rock group like the Beatles on a world tour, but but in that punchy pulp style, you know. I mean, and that's me, you know, looking for for new things to adapt it to. Now, do you uh, blend other genres in with it? You know, like there would be British Invasion and Pulp. Yeah, you know, but. yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I have, geez, I have so many interests, and so much of that started as a kid, and all the stuff that I literally absorbed. What, you know, as so a talk, kid. Let's talk about Roots. What did you yeah, absorb as a kid? You, you know, um, giant monster movies. You know, you know, Godzilla Week on the Big Show. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, 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 GI Joe toys, uh, Universal monster movies because of the horror hosts that I watched out of Detroit, Sir Graves Ghastly. Mm-hmm. I was wearing his T-shirt the, the other day, you know. Um, I'm taking all these things and trying to distill it down into the to the stuff that I love about it the most and then looking for ways to, to combine it. And hopefully I'm going to stumble upon something that maybe not everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. you know. I love it when people walk up and they look at one of my books and they, they go, either I wish I had thought of that or like where did that come from and you know what I may not be making you know millions of dollars off of it but but if I'm having fun that's, oh, yeah. that's what's so important to me I, you know I gotta enjoy what I'm doing so um how do you do what you do what is your right what's <laughs> your writing not process? very easily <laughs> I, I, when you said you know what do you do I should have said well I'm a frustrated writer yeah. but um, no, I've seen the uh, yeah. tables full of products. You are not a, you are an accomplished writer. I, I have been, I have been really lucky, because not only do I get to do the original stuff and some really fun, cool stuff, and and I do some self-publishing and I work with some small publishers, but I've actually been uh, more recently doing uh, tie uh, licensed fiction, and I've been very lucky in that respect. Uh, so I kind of going back and forth and, and doing that stuff, but can you give us an example? Oh, um, I've written an original Spider-Man novel, an wow. official. Uh, I uh, uh, co-created. Which one? Which was the Spider-Man? It's called um, Spider-Man: uh, Enemies Closer. Okay. Uh, it's actually published by a firm called Joe Books, and they had the uh, official Marvel license to do mm-hmm. official Marvel prose novels. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I still to this day I can't believe it. Uh, I have an, a, a, a Planet of the Apes anthology a classic planet of the apes anthology uh which is uh me and my uh uh, co-editor rich hanley uh assembled this incredible group of writers and we did uh 16 stories set uh in and around the original five movies the two tv series and the comic books not the new stuff right but, uh, and that's published by Titan Books. It's called Planet of the Apes, Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Fantastic. Uh, I have an so X-Files short story. Extra material of those Planet of the Ape cults, yes. cultists. Yeah, yeah. Right? We, we've gotten incredible reviews on it. Uh, you know, trip on to Amazon.com and look at our reviews for that. And, you know, cool. people just really responded to it well. So, so You also I mentioned mean, the X-Files. Yeah, I did an X-Files short story for a collection called X-Files uh, Hidden Secret Agendas. Hidden, mm-hmm. I did Secret Agendas. 
so uh, again, you know, I get to do those things, work with some properties that I absolutely love and have loved for a long time, but I'm doing my original stuff too. So let's talk about, give me at least one of your original titles. I have a, uh, a ghost hunter character named Sergeant Janice, mm -hmm. uh, that there's been a couple books so far and a couple short stories and collections. Uh, that's going to be probably the next thing I get back to. Uh, to do a new novel of Sergeant Janus. Uh, I've got a, a shared universe giant monster anthology project called Monster Earth. Um, I've got a, that 60s rock group that we were talking about. Sure. They're called the Lemon Herberts and have Lemon an anthology. Herberts. Yeah, and, and probably the thing that I'm most proud of of my original ventures is I have my own little publishing firm called Flinch Books. Uh, I have a fantastic partner in that named John Bruning. We're both Ohio guys, mm -hmm. and we've got five books out so far, uh, four anthologies, and John's original novel called Midnight Guardian, and we're just having the time of our lives, and we're here at, actually, a half of the, our table is, is Flinch Books, and the other half is my own stuff or whatever, and we've got, we've got those five books out. We just put out uh, an anthology called Quest for the Space Gods, and here's, this is what those like high concept things that maybe not everybody's doing. It's actually the adventures of an author that somewhat resembles Eric Von Daniken, uh, <laughs> he of the uh, Chariot of the Gods right. uh, debacle uh, in the 70s. And our character names, is named Conrad Von Honig, and he travels the world uh, in the 1970s looking for that conclusive proof of ancient astronauts and all the obstacles that he comes yeah. across. Uh, we actually sold out uh, this uh, weekend That's for fantastic. that book. Yeah, That's yeah. We, had just, uh, we have an incredible group of writers. I, I do the initial lead-off story. John and I created the concept, and then we had five other writers come in and, uh, and pick it up and do more adventures of the character. Really great response to, to the book so far. Excellent, excellent. Um, so what's your, what is your writing habit? <laughs> is it a daily? My, my writing habit yeah. sucks is what. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you, everybody, did you just hear all of that stuff he did? Oh, my writing habit sucks. Well, Produce, you have, the proof is on your table. I, I know. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's like, I, I like the end result, but, but getting to it, it's like pulling teeth sometimes to me. Here's what it is, is it's the starting. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, like, well, I want to write an, a novel or, or I've started this story, but then I put it down and I went. It's like you got to finish a right. project. Finish what you started. It could it could suck like, like, like my writing habit, but at least you say I've got this beginning and the end and it's done. Then go back and tweak and it. And make it suck and, less. Yeah, make yes. it suck less. Absolutely. <laughs> Until but, it's good. Yeah. I mean, my, my writing process is is dream up the idea, make a few notes for it. Create a rough outline, but don't get too far into the outline and allow for stuff to happen while you start writing. Know where you're going, you know, and that's what I do, but... I, I, um, you're a pantser with a roadmap. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. Perfect. Um, we were talking about this in our... We had a flinch book panel uh, yesterday. We were talking about this, about the magic when the characters start speaking to you and they're telling you the writer what they want to do there's nothing better when they, they insist yeah. yeah this has happened to me more than once um and there's some magic that can happen yeah. when that you know like and i'd say to anybody who who might have this happen to them 
go go with it you can you can you can tie them up and pull them back to where you want to if you want but but let it happen and see where it goes and you might be surprised because these characters if they take on a life of their own they may know better than you the you the writer you know whenever whenever someone talks to me about writer's block i usually say that there's there's two things that are really writer's block either you didn't spend enough time with the character and getting to know who the character is. Yeah. So do a character biography or whatever. Yeah. And I, I have like a 150 questions to offer. You know, go mm -hmm. and answer mm -hmm. all those questions. You'll have less block. Yeah. Or you're trying to force the character one way when the character wants to go another way. Absolutely. You have to kind of, well, if this, you know, if, if yeah. it's really hitting the wall, listen. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Then, Absolutely. Boom. Uh, I, I was writing a Sergeant Janice short story, and, and Janice was in this supposed haunted house with a police officer, and something big started happening, and uh, uh, Sergeant Janice, I knew, was going to say, well, I can't leave, I have to take care of this. Place is literally coming down around their ears, and all of a sudden, and I didn't know this, the police officer says, you're coming with me. He, he tells me he wants to hit Sergeant Janice over the head and knock him out and drag him bodily out of the house. Totally unexpected. They were supposed to stay in there. Right, right. And it was like, no, let's, this is great. Let's see you where know? it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, knocking yeah. out my hero, you know, and, and dragging him out, probably saving his life, you know, maybe. Um, you know, you mentioned that thing about uh, uh, all this kind of prep work. One thing that, and, and I know this works for a lot of writers, a lot of writers do this insane amount of prep work and they're writing drafts that or pitches that are almost as long as the novel themselves you know or they or they say like well i got my first draft done or i'm into my fourth draft and, and it's I, i'm kind of a like a one draft and hand it to the editor and right. and and get it you know it's like i get it out of my head and sometimes that's hard just right. getting it onto the screen you know everybody has different styles Absolutely. when uh, when I was writing my first novel I rewrote it 10 times but that was because I was teaching myself what a novel was and how it worked yeah you know yeah. that didn't happen the second or the third yeah. you know yeah. and as you learn who you are as a writer and what you can do as a yeah. writer you know you throw those things to the side and yeah. move to the next thing yeah. um, I still find myself um, when I'm Prior to writing the new piece, right, whatever that is, I'll be walking around and it's in your head all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'll use either you know the note, uh, the little notepad in the uh, iPhone, yeah. or actual index cards. And <laughs> with and, me, it's sticky notes. Sticky notes. And right. I have a yeah, pocket yeah. full of sticky notes that I'm walking around with. You know, uh, I'm I'm terrible. I'm low tech. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought like I said to my wife, I'll get a little audio recorder and you know, because I but always when think are you going to listen to it all back? Right? I know, right, right. The index cards you can yeah. you can get a big cup of your choice of caffeine and put them out around the table, yeah. move them around, yeah. and then once they're in order, you can basically yeah. ignore them, yeah. right? Because it's in your head. If it's on the, it, and then you, if you get stuck, you flip through, oh, those were my ideas. Exactly. Boom. But it's all the process, right? Yes. Um, you, are you a longhand writer? Are you a, a computer? What are we talking about? Oh, uh, well, longhand for notes, mm -hmm. like like we're saying, sticky notes and everything, but then, and then right onto the you know, cool. computer. Yeah. I gotta get to the sticky notes for a second. 
do you ever put them in order, or what happens to the sticky notes? Do they stay in the pocket? Are they, are they no, on a crumpled they get, pile they get, in the corner yeah, of the well, desk? Well, it's, it's more likely the crumpled pile, you know, uh, and uh, and then I'm and then I'm finding sticky notes that already repeat the ones on this sticky mm. note. But it's that means it's a better idea. It's right? generally lay them out to the side, start crossing uh, like. All right, I just inserted that into there. Cross it off, you know. Can I finally throw this one away? <laughs> so I'm also obsessive compulsive. That's which, great. Which yeah, like every bad thing that a that a writer you know should not be. But you know, I urge I urge everybody, um, don't get too hung up on what you think might be the rules. Right. You can you know a lot of the big huge authors you know put out their like five things you should never do right. or whatever. Okay, there's some there's some logic in some of them, but don't get too hung up on that. Like you said, find out who you are as a writer. Right. I love that phrase. Right. Find out who you are as and a you writer. And you only do that by doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. May, maybe yeah. Uh, your novel is going to be your kind of novel, right. you know, and 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 people are either going to love it or they're not going to love it. And you, well, you, you what you, I you find is the, is is the people who come back, the people who are supposed to be your audience, mm-hmm. are the ones who love that uh, that um, novel for what that novel is. Yeah not how it compares to yeah. some other yeah. author, right? Yeah. Um, I hate to keep going back to Sergeant Janice, but I... Well, you I know dis- what? He's, he's on your mind. I, dis- <laughs> I, I, I did something that, that got a good response. It's, um, it's eight stories, but each story is told by one of his clients. Oh, cool. I, I decided I didn't want to have a third-person omniscient. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do first-person from him, and I didn't want to have a Dr. Watson character. Right. And somehow it jumped into my mind that, well, this guy's got clients, so every story is first-person, but it's it's eight different uh, uh, perspectives on the same guy. That's cool. And and everybody has a different idea of him. There are the people, his clients, who believe what he's doing. They believe that there really are ghosts, and they're kind of in awe of what he does. And then there's a couple of characters who think that he's a charlatan and that he's faking all this stuff just to get you know his fee or whatever. And and I really love that because it allowed me to speak in eight different voices. And this cha- this was a huge challenge because I don't like first person very much. And here I am writing a whole. And then as the stories go on, they start to link up, and by the end, you see that there's this overarching story over them. I actually went to a couple of, of my writer friends, and I said, "Do you know of anybody who's ever done this thing where it's the clients who are telling the stories, and it's and they're kind of like, mm, no, I, that's kind of interesting and I, new." What sparked my interest, and then I'll have to sweep, swing over to your table and see if it's there. Um, that when when you finish that book. Mm-hmm. You have a very well-rounded view of Sergeant Janice. I'd know? like so to think fa- so. Very fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So um, we've we've spoken about all the different things you do. My God, um, hopefully we've we've uh, uh, sparked some uh, curiosity in the the people who are listening. I hope so. so. <laughs> where do they find your books? All right. Uh, obviously on Amazon.com. Amazon.com/author/jimbeard. Um, they're going to see everything that I uh, have up there. Um, I have a Facebook, uh, I hate to call it a fan page, you know, I'm just not... I always call it an I, author page. Yes, I'm not into that, <laughs> that word fan, you right. know. I, I, I wish they're readers, you know. Right, they're, right. they're Hopefully they're like me, you know, they're, they're readers, you know. Um, and uh, 
that's called The Beard, the Jim Beard fan page. There's that word again. They can find <laughs> me there. And uh, my um, ho horribly unused <laughs> Twitter account is at uh, writer Jim Beard, all, all one word. And they can find me there, too. Excellent. Oh, and they can find me at the Flinch Books page, too. We have the, on Facebook, we uh, Flinch Books, F-L-I-N-C-H, cool. in your face, Major Flinch. There you go. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So thank you very much thank for you. Uh, having a conversation. Enjoy the rest of the oh, fest. Love and talking to fellow over, writers. I'll be over to your table. I'll bring cool, a couple man. of mine. I'll show All you right, cool, man. Going. Cool. Thanks thank a lot. You. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Chris Ryan here from Tell the Damn Story, and we are at Deadly Inc. Mystery Writers Conference in beautiful Parsippany, New Jersey. And we're here, I'm really honored to be in, uh, in, in the presence of not one, but two presidents of the Sisters in Crime uh, um, organization. We have Linda Rollins, from, she's the president for New Jersey, and Jane Kelly, she's the president for Delaware, Delaware Valley. I always get uh, lose my uh, self-confidence in that one. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you, if it's okay, a little bit about being the president of Sisters in Crime uh, in, in your your branch. Um, first, a little quick definition of what Sisters in Crime is, and then we're gonna move into what, do you, what is the responsibility of the president. So Sisters in Crime is an organization where we work with authors to help help them learn and be confident in their writing skills and abilities, and we provide them with all sorts of resources and networking. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, you joined Sisters in Crime as uh, new writers, I would imagine, and, and went through the membership. Um, so I'm sure you can tell us some of, uh, some of the uh, things that you learned there. Um, then things change as president, don't they? Yes, they do, Chris. Sometimes what happens is now you act as an ad. Well, you definitely are always an advocate for your own writing, and you need to act as an advocate for everyone. But the whole point is that Sisters in Crime takes new writers, and we help develop them in their career. And it's very important because you have new writers who are a little bit less confident, a little bit nervous about their writing, a little bit insecure about the quality. And you have experienced writers who have written 50, 90 books. People like Mary Higgins Clark are in our clubs. And you bring them along, you help develop them. So being a president is about leading the meetings and um, you know, coming up with content that will help to stimulate their writing and bringing in specialists so that they make sure the details in their writing is correct. So you are there to advocate for all the writers and all of your club and also to help promote and publicity and items along those lines. Yeah. I think as president you have to make sure people understand what Sisters in Crime can do for them. Because when I first joined, it was all about the meetings. I had no concept of what else I could, what other benefits I could reap by paying attention to the national website. Mm -hmm. And so I find that a big part of my job is educating people, trying to get them involved in understanding exactly what Sisters in Crime can do for them as a member organization. You know, but I think, Jane, it's also important to point out that we, although we promote all of us as a group, it's not a publicity chapter where we just promote your individual book. It's more about learning, networking, and being supported as opposed to public publicity. We have and certain rules we have to follow. We were talking before and you mentioned community. Yes. Is, is, is that what we're talking about here? Right, a community of writers because we may have a new writer who writes something. We'll have another person who will read it for them and offer suggestions. And we'll have another person that will teach them about marketing or publicity or social media. 
some of the aspects of writing that are so important today. You write that book, and that's really the easiest part of being an author. And it's so important to be able to then take your book, be confident in your book, have it edited well, make sure you have a good cover. First of all, you have to have a really good product. But then you yourself now, whether you are indie published, whether you're traditionally published, legacy published, you have to go out, you have to do the marketing, you have to meet the people, you have to do the publicity, you have to promote, and we all work together to help enforce that as a community. And, and one of the things I'd like to, uh, uh, this your answer sets up this next part, uh, observing the two of you over the last couple of days, uh, one of the things that uh, was particularly impressive is, one, how you make time for anyone who approaches you, and how you also it's automatic. You can't even see the transfer, but you go from walking down a hall to the public author, right? This is a skill that is necessary for all of us. So why why do we have that? Why, why do you have to develop it? How did you develop it? You know, is it over years? Is it through Sisters in Crime? How do you get to that where you always can, uh, you sold uh, so easily uh, from, we were just uh, we we're just in the um, breakfast. breakfast nook <laughs> there, and a gentleman stopped the two of, uh, the, the two of us because of our Deadly Ink uh, um, badges and asked you if you knew an author. Right. And watching the conversation go from that to introducing uh, who you are and what you can do and then you were there with, with him as well. Uh, it was it's a fascinating skill. So let's let's step back from uh, uh, the process or uh, from the uh, moment. And how do you get that? What do you need to do to develop that ability? Well, Chris, I think the first thing is over, and it takes time. But you need to be confident, and you need to be sure about yourself as a writer. So many new writers kind of don't believe that they're a writer yet, and they're shy to talk about their work. But you need to do that. And so I'll tell you one thing that, that helped me. It was the first time that I happened to be out and I walked into a store and somebody looked at me that I had never met and they said, Linda Rollins. And I'm like, how did this person know me? But they knew me through my writing, they knew me through my website. You, when you become a writer or a public figure, and you need to learn how to speak with people, how to interface with people, yet how to keep that completely professional, because remember, your image, your words, everything you do can be public at any time, and that is something that's so inherent to your complete writing career. If you say or do something that you're not really proud of and it goes online, it can really have a significant impact. So you need to learn how to interact, how to always advocate, always be positive, yet always bring up what you do and be confident that what you do is good work. And that's what Sisters in Crime helps you to be. It develops those personality skills. A lot of writers tend to be isolated people who stay home and they'll write and half of us never get dressed out of our pajamas. Yet there is a very public side of being a writer that you need to learn to be comfortable to be able to do. So let's talk about a new member comes into Sister of Crime, and we're, I'm assuming that this has happened often, and they stay into the back or off to the side, and that are social, they're really not intermingling. What do the members of Sisters of Crime do to bring that person along? Well, the very first thing that I like to do in my chapter is, and I this is something I've, I've done more in the chapter, is I love to have something called open mic. 
And what we do is we have an open mic day and everybody brings a piece of their work. They can choose whatever they want and they have to read for three to five minutes out loud. It's amazing how many authors can sit at their desk and craft something very wonderful, but when you ask them to read their own work out loud, it's almost painful for people because it's a very public is now looking at your project and you can be very um, anxious about that so just by coming to the meetings and reading your work and every time you do that I have to be honest when I started writing the reason I got fascinated by it is I was going to a Barnes and Noble in my local community and they had an open mic night once a week and I started going and I started listening to everybody writing and I and these were all people that had never published but you become more and more confident about being in public. So open mic, I think, is a number one. Letting other people read your words, you know, and let other people, this is a very big thing, is initially writers are very proud of themselves of what they wrote, and they don't accept criticism always well. Listen to what people are telling you, because when they're experienced, they kind of know what works and what doesn't work. And don't take that personally. It's, we are, we are wordsmiths. And that's what we're teaching people how to use words and how to use them effectively. And uh, so a lot of times we get some great feedback from people that have been out there for years. And, and both of those steps are, you know, the public speaking and the taking, learning to take criticism professionally and separate the personal. Uh, the only way to do that, to get good at either of those, is to do it. Yeah. It's like uh, listening to uh, stand-up comedians talk about it. The first three years, it's not really about whether you kill. It's about getting up there and just finding who you are. And so th is, that's one of the things that is an uh, inherent benefit of joining a community like this, I would say. Sure. Yes? Yes. I'm just thinking I'm one of those people who doesn't like to read their work. I've published eight novels and I still don't like get to get up and read my work. Can you do it? Do you do it? I can do it. I have no trouble with public speaking at all. Talking's fine. Reading is a whole different issue. So I can understand what you're up against sure. with people who don't like to read because I would do anything to avoid reading. So how did you get over it? I'm not over it yet. <laughs> okay, you know that, You didn't that's hear me even, read the other night, did you? That, that's even better though because it, as a professional, there's going to be moments when you have to right yeah. so in the face of not liking to read maybe in your heart of hearts not wanting to read and yet it's part of the job how do you how do you get over that hump one thing that's easier for me and i was thinking about it during the readings the other night is i like to rather than read from a work where it's really hard to pick a part of your novel that is significant i'd rather write something specifically that shows my style so that people have a sense of what i'm doing and who i am but I can put it in con some sort of context. So that's what I'm working on now. I'm working on it. I, I'm doing a reading August 13th in New York, and I wrote something special for it. I, yeah, I'm much more comfortable with that. That's fantastic. And it, again, it's uh, even just having this conversation, you hear so many ideas, and that's kind of what that whole community is about. So let's say one of our re uh, listeners is. Uh, uh, a member of no no organization uh, what would you say to get them out the door or to get them to the computer to go to sistersincrime.org what would you do I think it's important I think to be a successful writer 
despite how talented one may be, you need to network in the, within the community, within the writing community, to really get to where you need to be, to meet those agents, meet those editors, to meet the other authors. And one of the main thing we do is we promote each other so much and push each other forward. It's not it it's it's actually a loving community that helps each other. It's not um, jealousy. Would you agree with the the idea that uh, an organization like this is the bridge between aspiring to be an author and being and having the skills to, to help yourself get there? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great place to start. There are other organizations, but I think Sisters in Crime is a great place to start. Fantastic. I think one of the real benefits is you're with people who have done it, who right. have written, and I think it's a good thing to see that these are real people, they're in your community, and you can talk to them and you can learn from them. They're not someone out there who's published. It's a community that you can join. So one of the things that's going to happen is when you first start writing and submitting, you know, you're going to get those first couple of um, rejection letters. But it's something that every single one of us, I mean, you know, you have to go through about 100 rejection letters. And so if you're by yourself and you get that, you know, and you may feel bad about it, but that's part of the process. Like, be proud. If anybody has read Stephen King's on writing the book, I love the story about how he, you know, had a nail in the wall. He put them on there, and when that was too short, he put a spike in the wall, and he kept writing. And look where he is today. So we help our fellow writers understand that's all part of the process. So you got to go through it. You can't go around it, you know? Let that pile grow. That's right. Each rejection is well, a step closer to the one that, shockingly, <laughs> says something different. Right? But what's so important is some of those rejection letters will actually contain good advice from the people that are rejecting them. So, okay, you get a, you get a rejection letter. Read it and see what they're telling you because some of those professionals are really giving you some good advice you need to follow. Donald Moss gave me the yes. best rejection letter I ever received. It was the standard, and then the whole bottom third was his handwriting. Yes. And here's what I really liked about it, and then he says, it, it, you know, he didn't. He says, I'm, I'm personally, he was sick of partner cops. Right. He says, that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that's why it's not for me. Right. And then he would do this or do that, and to to get the that kind of specific uh, advice, I found energizing as opposed yeah. to depressing and, you know you yeah. don't always get that a lot of times it's just that form letter right except it for what it is it means send it somewhere else yeah right? so uh, we really didn't talk too much about uh, what you write and what you write do you want to do you want to go there or do you want to tell people where to find you can we talk a minute? Um, yeah, okay? we'll talk a minute. I write two mystery series, Rocky Meadow Mystery Series, which is about a trauma surgeon and a priest who solved mysteries in Vermont. I also write another series uh, called Mystery Mis- Misty, Point, Misty Point Mystery Series, which is about a young woman who uh, returns to the Jersey Shore uh, as her grandmother is dying, and she winds up solving mysteries at the Jersey Shore, which is um, a great cozy mystery series. And uh, you can find my works and things on lindarollins.com. Everything is there, links to my books and uh, blogs and stuff like that. Excellent. Jane? Um, I'm also at the Jersey Shore. I write a mystery series with an amateur sleuth, Meg Daniels. She solves mysteries in towns up and down the Jersey Shore. I also wanted to become a hybrid author, so I've done some uh, dabbling in ebooks which I self-published or independently published mm-hmm. on uh, Amazon and they can be found there and my book you can find all about all my books on uh, www.janekelly.net 
because janekelly.com sells real estate in Missouri. So go to the net and, and you'll, you'll find everything the there. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, well, ladies, thank you very much. This thank has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. And um, go forth and tell the damn story. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, thank Chris. Wow. Alex, that was cool, wasn't it? Wow, wow. And I like the ambience here, the ambience of the, 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 the convention, you know, the, the noises, the buzzes. And you are yeah, so much fun on mic. You are so yeah. much fun. You look gushing there too, aren't you? Well, I love uh, I love being at those things, and I love talking to writers, and uh, their their energy is definitely um, uh, catching, like the mm -hmm. coronavirus, but a lot less, you know, drop problematic. Um, so yeah, it's really great, and it's always an honor to talk to them. So uh, can I can I mention one quick thing? Can I one yeah. quick thing? It's funny too because you know we're doing we're doing this sort of. Um, a version of, of Tell the Damn Story and where we're bringing about this sort of uh, pseudo-virtual con experience. And as you know, I just did the uh, Black Panther panel. That's at, right, yes. Oh. At San Diego right. San Diego con, con. Kind of. Con at home, baby. Yeah, at home, that's right. So we weren't actually in San Diego this year. No one was. Uh, no one from the con, anyway. But yeah, we did this. So we had recorded a virtual panel, Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther part, uh, uh, Psychology, right? And it was a number of people on the panel, and we did it through Zoom, and it was great. And uh, it aired on the weekend of the virtual San Diego Comic-Con. And it was really exciting to see how people responded to that uh, and the other panels and other features that were um, yeah. uh, delivered virtually. Well, um, I enjoyed it when I watched it. Um, I know you've gotten some good numbers on it. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a follow-up question. Oh, okay. Uh, if we have time for a quick follow-up question, and if you, uh, it's, if hey, audience, it's our show. <laughs> that's right. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, San Diego Comic Con, Wakanda Forever. You'll see it. It's a great panel, yeah. featuring the one and only Alex. Simmons. All and right. Five other guys. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that, this, the the the, uh, uh, the young lady. Uh, um, when I was watching it, she was the middle. She was the middle square. Right. Uh, I thought she was brilliant, but all of them were very interesting. But there was one where um, somebody said that they, in their opinion, Marvel dropped the ball oh. uh, on Black Panther because there was no merchandise afterwards. You know, the kids came out of the movie, they couldn't buy the toy. Granted, I see the point. I would, I would throw this in as a hot take. Okay, go for it. I would split the responsibility. Uh, let's see what you react to. I think uh, Marvel Studios, right, the people... Uh, Feige and the rest, greenlit the film, signed the check. Mm -hmm. It's a big director, old check, too. Big old check. <clears throat> hired the director, and as I understand it, backed off and let him, you know, and he staffed it, and they developed it, and, you know, it was, it was, became this cultural event that, that it, you know, it always had the potential to be and never quite got there, and this time it did. Um, you know, kudos, of course. I always, you know, Don McGregor, God bless him. You mm -hmm. know, is kind of the roots of it. But all hail everyone, in, you know, uh, involved in the film. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I don't think Marvel Studios dropped the ball. I think whoever's in charge of Marvel merchandise, Hello. those people have to catch up. Because even when the first Avengers movie... There was no Black Widow doll for the little girls. There's, you know, 
when uh, when Winter Soldier came up and uh, Falcon was there. Where's the Falcon doll or, or, or action figure? Excuse me. Um, <laughs> and there wasn't any Halloween costume except you know the big three until you know Black Panther. They throw a mask on. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, but they had to catch up. And I think they learned a hard lesson with the Black Panther. And they had to run and catch up. And I saw it was a little quicker with Captain Marvel. And we would hope that they're already designing merchandise for Black Panther 2. We would hope they had learned their lesson. But I, my hot take is I would split the two. Kudos to one. And, yeah. and a challenge to the other. Like, come on. Those well, things I mean, are way past. You got to, you got to know everybody wants stuff. Well, I would, I would just quickly add um, that, A, I agree with you. I, it's, it's always about who's in charge. Because ultimately, as much as the fans may look at this as Marvel, Black Panther, comics, film, how cool, all one thing, it's business. It's mm -hmm. the business of, and then there's the business of making comics, there's the business of making films, and there are business people involved and different departments and different responsibilities. And yeah, absolutely. Marvel could have said, okay, this is going to be a great movie. Get the stuff out. Get the merchandise. And merchandising might have gone, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, you know, give me. And, and like you said, it, whatever the, the idea was, whatever the conversation was behind the wall, it didn't roll out in time. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, you know, lesson learned. Um, that was the only hot take I had. The rest of it was a fascinating um, uh, panel discussion that went in a lot of different directions. Um, all of them well thought out, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's what happened you know, a bunch of people together. <laughs> not always. You know, so, <laughs> you know you, and I would point you to some of the things I have said in earlier episodes. <laughs> oh, okay. But, you know, you, I, I went into the panel expecting the, um, a certain level of discourse. And I, uh, and you know, they all have degrees, masters, PhDs. So I thought, okay, this is going to be the level. And of course, the book is the psychology of the Black Panther. So I'm thinking that level. Um, and sometimes I can get esoteric. And this one didn't necessarily always get esoteric. It did get, you know, it did touch on the business, it touched on film, it touched on the comics, it touched on the character of Black Panther, you know? And and then what I loved the best was when I talked about the importance of Black Panther, mm. you know? And in any creativity, from the artist to the audience, that's the journey. And, and, and for them to embrace it is where you you finish the art, right? Yep. You know? Yep. And uh, that's I think that was my... The most enjoyable part of the uh, panel, but it's really worth uh, being uh, uh, worth going and looking up. I shall but, pass the word on too. I'll however, let everybody know. However, however, don't look it up now because yes. we've got more for you. Because yes, we've we're got going back several, to our event. Yes. If, if you thought the first batch of interviews was cool, this second batch, man, they got some people and some names. A couple of you know, rising stars, a couple of heavy hitters, uh, but a lot of fun. So yep. uh, here comes part two. 
All right, it's Chris Ryan from Tell the Damn Story, and we are at the Deadly Inc. Writers Conference in Central Jersey, and I am here with Art Taylor, who's both a uh, college creative writing professor and an author himself. Hi, Art. How you doing? Hi, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Well, we appreciate having you here. Um, can we talk about uh, your teaching a little bit? What do you teach? Um, I teach at George Mason University. That's in Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, right outside of D.C. Uh, I teach a variety of courses, um, uh, creative writing workshops, both in fiction and in creative nonfiction. Uh, and then I teach literature classes primarily focused in uh, crime fiction. Uh, so uh, I've taught a, a Sherlock Holmes class before. I've taught one five killer crime novel. Um, so a, a little bit of, of mystery in all those, and uh, been very popular classes. Fantastic. I will, um, full disclosure, I will tell you that I we do the podcast, my, I do it with a friend of mine, Alex Simmons, the creator of Blackjack, um, but he also is the writer of a play called uh, Sherlock Holmes in the Hands of Othello. Oh, nice. And it's been produced... Um, fairly regularly over the last several years so it might be something that i'll have to send you a copy of i'll look forward to seeing it good stuff all right so speaking of writing okay let's talk and i'm uh, we're going to get back to the classes a little bit when we talk about how you know how to write um you've written a book called on the road oh sorry we have to go before that before that okay you have um a track record with um uh, a certain magazine. Yeah, Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Started yep. with your um, your childhood experience uh, trying to sell magazines, right? Right. Yes. Uh, one of those <laughs> those fundraisers for um, uh, you know your your middle school, junior high school it was at, at the time, um, and uh, and they. Uh, they had us go door to door trying to sell some magazines. So I was like, okay. Uh, How'd you I, do? I do that. I did really badly. I think I may have <laughs> sold my parents something that they were already subscribing to, you right, know, right, something right. like that. But I did subscribe to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine myself as I was looking through all the magazines. I was like, that caught my eye. I love mysteries already. I was reading Nancy Drew, The Three Investigators. And sure. so this was it was kind of my first introduction to adult mysteries. Right. I was I was 10, 11 years old. What was the impact of Ellery Queen magazine, mystery magazine, on you? Well, you know, at the time it was just it was just fun. You know, I got it and I felt like this was was uh, you know a whole new world of mystery. But it's interesting now, um, going back and rereading the writers now that I read then, like Hugh Pentecost, uh, Stanley Allen, uh, you know, Ed Hoke, who obviously was in every issue of, of Ellery Queen at that time, and to see the ways in which I'm certainly not putting myself in their level, but I recognize that some of the things that I do in my writing, apparently I learned just from like having read those things right. as a youth. It, it just it just got into my system somehow, and I'm echoing those things myself in my own writing. Um, didn't necessarily model myself on that at the time, but, but you can't help but absorb, right? Exactly, and, you absorb and, it. And and. It's kind of feeding the muse, and then it, it comes out in a certain way. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, um, but that was my love of short stories. You know, it's, it's like short story was what I read, not exclusively, but there's something about that that has always stayed with me. I valued that, and that has sort of helped me to write short stories as well. And where have some of those short stories shown up? You know, I've had uh, work in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Um, I was in a, you know, they just started Black Cat Mystery Magazine as a new one. I had a, a story in the debut issue of that. That was I've had, currently? Yep. Um, that was about, a, uh, gosh, last fall, I guess it was. Um, and um, and I've been in several anthologies as well. Uh, okay. You know, Sisters in Crime, uh, the local uh, chapter Sisters in Crime puts out anthologies. I've contributed to those recently. 
um, other anthologies out there, just really wherever it will take me. Uh, now, Ellery Queen, you started in the Department of First Stories. Department yeah. of First Stories, famous uh, uh, launching pad for many writers. You know, at the time, I didn't recognize it. Um, I mean, I was happy to be in there. They uh, uh, sent a story in. They called up and said, have you been published before? And, and th that conversation, I was eligible and, and put me in there. Recently, Ellery Queen celebrated its 75th anniversary, and as part of that, that year-long celebration, a uh, great historian of mystery, Marvin Lackman, published a piece on the Department of First Stories. It was only reading that that I realized that Richard Link, right. um, excuse me, William Link right and Richard there. Levinson had appeared there, Stanley Allen, David Morrell, you know, who wrote sure, Rambo. Sure. His first publication was in the same series. And so I'm looking back over this long tradition of Ellery Queen having... An Asian restaurant. Uh, <laughs> long tradition of, of, of distinguished names who haven't appeared there and I was like whoa I'm in good company if only I can live up to you know someday live up to, to well, what the, they've achieved well there's a, a kind of a, a, a nice um, pat on the back for you with the current issue or the upcoming issue correct? yeah the July August issue of Ellery Queen I've, I've had my name on the cover before which was, was like a milestone in itself um, but this the new one arrived and uh, there are four names on the cover and mine's on the top uh, and so it's like Wow, how did I do that? And what's interesting is Peter Lovesy, who just last year won Grand Master at Mystery Writers of America, mm -hmm. he's third on the list. Well, so I'm like, I'm going to give him a hard time when know, I see him. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if he so, keeps working, you if, know. If only, you know. <laughs> Come on, always got to improve. Exactly. Um, so let's move to what I started to mention right. before was uh, your book, On the Road, with Dell and Louise, a novel in stories. Yes. Okay, yeah. so first, um, it's got some honors, right? Yes? Um, it was very fortunate with the attention that some folks in the mystery community gave it. It won the Agatha Award for Best First Novel. It was also nominated for both the Anthony Award for Best First uh, and the McCavity Award for Best First. I did not win either of those, but just being in that company at all company, sure. was a thrill. So um, it's an odd book. The novel and stories, um, it's, it is not a, a traditionally um, structured uh, mystery see, novel. See, you use odd. I would use unique. Okay, I appreciate uh, that. Um, yeah. Because it, I think that um, this subtitle, A Novel in Stories, is fascinating. Oh. Um, tell us about it. Um, well, you know, I'm a short story writer primarily. The first of the stories uh, that was that is in the book is, okay, I'll back up a second, give you the structure and then the background. Um, it is six stories, all featuring the title characters, Dell and Louise. Dell is a small-time crook. Louise is his girlfriend and the narrator of the stories. And Dell is trying to go straight. So the first story, which is called Rearview Mirror, um, is about a, a one final heist at an art gallery in uh, Taos, New Mexico. And then he's going to go straight. He has earned a degree, um, and he's going to try to go into business. Um, and I wrote that story not ever thinking that these characters had anything beyond this. It is a complete story. It's published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I wonder what happens next for these two after the events of this story. And so I ended up tinkering with a second story. And then as I was working on that, I started thinking about their longer journey. So, um, so the novel uh, has these six stories, each of which has its own sort of character. And I try to play with a couple of things, one with tone, the other with 
uh, well, place, obviously, is a, is a road trip story, um, but also with these subgenres of mystery. So we've got, um, if we look at the adventures they have, there's the, the art gallery robbery in Taos, New Mexico. There is a real estate scam in Victorville, um, California. There is a wine heist or attempted wine heist in Napa Valley. There is a, a uh, holdup at a, uh, a wedding chapel in Las Vegas. You see where you know we're going. We got different things there, but the one in in uh, um, Napa Valley, for example, is sort of a funny story in many ways. Um, it's a caper tale, um, and uh, but by the time we get to South Dakota, uh, in the winter in South Dakota, Badlands. It's uh, no, no, um, no. It's, it was in the, in all the oil and the fracking industry sure, there. Sure. You know, this this was, it was like like an economic boom going on, and and Dell gets involved with that. But that story is dark. Um, that's uh, you know domestic expense edging toward noir right. and by the time we reach the final story in this our our, our, our small-time crooks have become detectives uh, or, or amateur detectives in the final story which is a more traditionally paced detective tale right. um, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing with tone and that was was very satisfying to me to sort of like you know stretch some muscles in different directions with each story but try to hold it all together with one narrative arc which is this couple, where are they going? What does their future hold? Um, and how does their past continue to creep up on them, catch up with them? It's interesting that uh, you mentioned in the first story, you know, uh, Dell is thinking that he's going to go straight. Right. And through the process of these different stories, he does, but not in the in the way he's intended. Not at all. He, there are times when he feels like he's uh, he's going to get pulled back in. Times when he's voluntarily pulled back in. Times when he's like, and and one of the things they struggle with talk about the past. One of the things that Louise especially struggles with is um, is this larger idea, not of, of of fate, not and not strictly of karma, but the sense that what you do defines who you are. And you know, so is their future in some way defined by what they've done in the past that they can't escape. And that's one of the things is, is grappling with as well, not just how to make money in this moment, that's part of it, but also like, you know, we, we live in this world, we have responsibilities to one another, we have responsibilities to ourselves, and who's the person we want to be? So there's, I'm not going to... Aristotle, you are what you do most often. Right? right, yeah. I don't want to be too existential about it, but that's kind of that's kind of part of what connects all the stories together, um, even as each of them has its own identity. So, um, to talk for a second about... Um, your process in in doing this book. Sure. I do want to get back to uh, your academic process. Yep. But in in once you you recognize that there was more for you to, you know, the, these two characters were were not leaving you. And right. They were calling to you to write more. Right. Right. Um, did you? Did you write each one organically, not knowing where it's going, or did you have an end point for where you wanted to leave them at the end of this collection? Sure. Um, good question. You know, when I again when I wrote the first story, I had had no clue that anything was going to come beyond that, and it actually took several years um, before a couple of years, I'd say, before I started really thinking about it and working toward that next one. Um, once that happened, um, about the same time that a publisher approached me and said, said, we like your work, do you have a, a manuscript for us to consider? And I said, I don't, but I do have these characters. And so it was, was talking to them and having somebody interested in the longer story, as well as my percolating on additional stories that kind of accelerated the whole process. Um, so all of a sudden I was focused. I did know where I wanted them to end up at the end. Um, in terms of this road trip journey um, uh, around the U.S., and that is in Louise's home state, my own home state of North Carolina. 
So I knew that destination. What was going to happen to them along the way was still something I needed to figure out, and that was part of pacing that longer journey. What's interesting is, having written the first story without any sense of anything beyond, the seeds for things that were going to happen in the last story I found by coming back to the first one. Um, so it was like, you know, without without planning it, um, I kind of listened to my own work and seeing where it was going to take me. And that was a, a, a revelation to me, too. It, you know, I, I find it's about doing the work. Mm-hmm. And then that, that will, you can't expect the rewards, but they'll you know, they'll be there for you. Yeah, you hopefully, know? yeah. Um, I, my first novel was City of the Woe, and I had these mm-hmm. two detectives, and... and um, I was surprised to see uh, a couple, not many, but a couple of the reviews saying, I wish we knew more about these two before. Uh, And I had written uh, two short stories. One wound up in Crime and Suspense, Mm -hmm. they don't exist anymore, and the other one in Hard Boiled, the Hard Boiled from back then, there's another Hard Boiled now. Um, So I had those, and I said, well, if I add to those a couple more stories, I can do a prequel. But where does it start and where does it end? Right, yeah. So I started thinking of it as season one, like an HBO season one, right? So the first one only has one of the characters. And the second story is them meeting. Okay. And it's based on my brother's police. I come from family cops. But it was some crazy story he told. Great place to meet. But I knew where it was going at the end. Yep. They had to be in emotional position to go on that journey of City of Woe. So it was fascinating to see, right? You know what I could do and all that sort of stuff. So like you're saying, you, you do the work and then you you find the seeds for future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you write? Are you a morning person, uh, afternoon, evening? What do you, what do you got to do? I write very messily, um, and um, you know I've, I've have tried in in uh, at, at times in the past to be a person who writes a certain number of words a day. The old Graham Greene write 500 words a day, and you're gonna um, or to write a certain number of hours a day, and it doesn't really work for me. Um, in in part because of talking about teaching, you know, during the school year. You know, the, the teaching schedule, the prep, the grading seems to take precedence. I can't always fit sure. in the time with that. And also we have a, a – my wife and I have a six-year-old son uh, who, we you know, we take parenting very seriously. So uh, – but he is one of the reasons why I've learned what my process is now. You know, but when him, he's awake, you can't say I'm writing. That's right. Yeah, that's hard to do. But also when I watched him, you know, when he was, uh, was about 10 months, learned to walk and um, – and he struggled to take that first step and then, you know, to get a second step. And I, I watched him and he worked hard at it. And like one step was important and that mm-hmm. second step was important and he eventually got where he's going. So I, I try to at least check in on my work every day if I can, even if it's not, if, you know, some days I'm writing several pages, a scene, um, whatever. Other days it's just making a note, making a line, making some, jotting something down. Somehow you'll get where you're going. I always have the phone for that little notepad. Oh yeah. And index cards. Yep. I prefer index cards because then you can get up before everyone is up and you know, nice cup of tea and the floor. Like and spread, spread them, them out. all out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, are you a planner or a, you're not quite even a pantser? You seem almost like um, Jason Pollock. You know, you write a scene, you're not sure where it goes, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Jason Bollock, School of Writing. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of just feel my way through. Uh, I, I get an idea, and it sort of goes from there. So it is, you know, to go back to paintings, it's, it's the idea of, you know, I sketch a little bit, can erase some, can uh, can then fill something in. 
Um, I don't always start writing in the beginning of a story, um, but eventually it, 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 it kind of comes together. So it's jigsaw a, puzzle? A little bit of a jigsaw puzzle. That's fascinating. Yeah, That's fascinating. Um, and it's only until the the end that it all that it all comes into into place. Do you believe in rewrite? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's where, where most of it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I revision agree. is where it all works. Uh, I was at a, um, what was it, uh, screenwriter's boot camp. Okay. Uh, the one thing I remember, God bless him, I had to give credit where it's due, was uh, the secret to writing is rewriting. Yes. And I believe that. Bring it to my heart. Yeah. yeah. I still believe that. Um, are you? Um, do you find that your academic mm-hmm. experience informs your writing? It like, does. Do you practice what you preach, or do you learn more by teaching the kids? Well, you know, uh, adults. I'm sorry, they're college. They are. Yes, <laughs> um, it's it, it's true. Um, you know, partly seeing their enthusiasm about their work, you know, translates into my enthusiasm. I don't know that I could could always do the things that I assign them to do on deadline. You know, they have to work really quickly on things. But you know, talking to them about about uh, how to shape character, about how to sharpen prose, about about plot points, reminds me of things to look for in my own writing. Um, and uh, and so it, it it keeps me on my game. Um, and thinking about. Uh, you know, the structure of a short story sort of uh, academically, by which I mean stretching back to think about the history of the short story and developments of it, you know, has given me a broader perspective on, on the form itself. Um, and so I, I, I think that all that contributes to, uh, you know, to, to my writing on a day-to-day basis. I was in your workshop yesterday, and you um, repeatedly referenced a, a couple of um, fiction, uh, um, I guess you'd say, how-to books. Right. Could you give uh, our listeners one or two uh, recommendations? Sure. Um, and, and there's actually one that I didn't talk about yesterday that I would recommend pretty highly. Um, which will take that. Yeah, Madison Smart Bell, um, Narrative Design is one that I actually use in my own classrooms. And I love that book because he's got a mix of, of like published well-known writers uh, and also students manuscripts from his his own student workshops and he takes and analyzes those and looks at how the structure works and does a line by line analysis of here's what's happening at this line here's what's happening here what is going on there um, in ways that you can uh, you can can see how a story is put together so I think it's really good um, I mentioned also uh, Janet Burroway's writing fiction which I think is uh, is a, a favorite too but there's and that's that's what more conventional textbook that you see in a lot of classrooms but you you can also have one that might not find its way in a college classroom like Dwight Swain's techniques of a selling writer which is terrific and and he had great success and so we're seeing a you know somebody who who was a a master of the form talking about about what he's um, you know how he works and and how he thinks about structure and I think that that those uh, you know those three together could be really good Two more questions. If you Absolutely. Don't mind. Yep. Yep. Um, on the road, is there going to be a follow-up? Are we going to see more? What's uh, What's next in writing for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I've had a couple of people ask about you know what's next for these characters, um, and uh, and maybe something I come to down the road, either in a short story, another short story for them, um, or possibly in another book. I'm not working on that right now. Mm-hmm. I am working on a. Um, this being a novel in stories, I, I would call this one a more traditional novel. Though I don't think it's traditional uh, in, in 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 all ways. Um, it is a story about uh, an all boys boarding school, about a murder that happens there, and about two kids that are trying to investigate it. Kind of paired against 
the story 25 years later of going back to the reunion at that school and uh, and one of the characters, one of the boys who was investigating, dealing with in the present day some of the the legacy of what had happened a quarter century before. Fantastic. Now, uh, where can listeners who are uh, interested in Art Taylor material, where can they find On the Road? Okay, it is available. You know, Amazon probably the easiest place uh, to get it. It was published a couple of years ago. I don't know that you'll find it in bookstores right now. But but uh, if you have an independent bookstore, go there and, if you and have order it. An independent yeah. bookstore, you can order. Which I was going to say, you know, uh, One More Page Books is uh, is our local bookstore down in Northern Virginia. Uh, one of my favorites, and and they're my go-to place to to get things. Got um, Got to support the indies. And in terms of reading some of my short fiction, um, you can go to my website, uh, arttaylorwriter.com, and check it out. I have a couple stories that are linked there. Um, one of my stories right now uh, was up for the Agatha Award earlier this year and is actually up for the Anthony McCavity as well and that is available in full on my website so you can read it right now. Excellent. Thank you for your time and uh, looking forward to seeing more of your writing. Oh, thank you for having me on here and good luck with your own. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Hey, this is Chris Ryan for Tell the Damn Story and yes, we're still at the uh, Pulp Fest and I have the uh, thrill of interviewing right now the guest of honor at Pulp Fest, Mr. Joe R. Lansdale. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing how, fine. How do you like the Pulp Fest? It's great fun, man. You got all these people here. They're really invested in all this stuff. It's great. It's It really feels a lot more like a community than some it of the is. other it's cons very, we go to. I think it very much is, and I think as time goes on, there's certain kinds of uh, fandom that they have and that that I have, at least this area of our fandom, gets smaller and smaller it does. because the pulps recede. Yes. You know, they came out so long ago. Many of them are no longer available. Even collecting them is uh, harder because uh, they don't hold up very well. That's true, but you know, I would. And one of the things I've been thinking about this weekend is that you and your work, uh, everything from Bubba Hotep to yeah. Happen Leonard to all the stuff. There's so much that you do, is kind of. Maybe if they're looking at it, it's kind of a door back into the future because your stuff is viable and can be picked up anywhere. Mm -hmm. You were just on Sundance for three seasons mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the great Happen Leonard show. What That's a heartbreak. Right. They, that was short, short sighted, uh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, and it was their number say, one show. I mean, you know, what you going to do? You know? <laughs> well, well, hopefully, someone will pick it up because it was a great show. Um, but I, I think. Uh, Artists such as yourself might be the way to revitalize this, and it's such an important genre. You know, we were yeah. talking about the men's magazine guys, yeah. them reviving. Though it's still great writing. Mm -hmm. um, so l that kind of leads us to talk about uh, your work. Like I said, okay. uh, uh, Happen Leonard is, of course, because of Sundance, maybe the most prominent of your work. But you know, at, you have so many different cult followings. Yeah. You know, there's the Pope. Uh, the the Bubba Hotep uh, cult, right. the Happen Leonard cult, the driving uh, westerns, the westerns. Oh my God, there's so Happen much. Happen Leonard. So the more mainstream stuff, like the bottoms and stuff. Yeah, yes, the bottoms and uh, the Edge of Darkness. Is uh, that, Edge of Dark Water. Edge of what a great what a great novel that was. Oh my God. So how did all this happen? You, you, you we were talking about um, earlier 
uh, and and at one of the panels right. you were mentioning that about your father and yeah. uh, and can you talk about that? Yeah, a my, bit? my father he couldn't read or write. When he got older, he got to where he could kind of dope out the newspaper a little bit and write his name. But my mother was a big reader, and my father because it had been hard on him because he you know couldn't read or write that he had really pushed me to you know be involved in that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, and, yeah, and then my mother was always always had books in the house, and uh, I read nonfiction fiction. I read whatever I could pick up. It might be a popular. A novel, and it might be a literary novel. Yeah, whatever was there, I would read it. I, I remember I would read cereal boxes and aspirin bottles, anything that. Read. Yeah, and but but the big, the first big introduction in was actually comic books, mm -hmm. and I started reading comic books when I was four. I I could read by the time I was four, and I started reading comic books. And some one of them that I I read that came along a little when I got a little bit older was Classics Illustrated, or mm -hmm. that I discovered. Sure. And uh, they had all of the classic novels that had been done as comics. And they were really faithful to them back then. Yes, they were. And they were beautiful art. And uh, I, I read those, and they inspired me to go look up those books. And so though we lived in a place that didn't have a library, it had a bookmobile. Okay. And when that bookmobile came, I would try to find those It'd be books. first in line. Yeah, plus <laughs> anything that looks science fiction or fantasy or horror-related. Th sure. Those were my big things as a kid, my big go-tos, as well as the, I had discovered Charles Dickens through Classics Illustrated, sure. I, uh, Swiss Family Robinson, mm -hmm. uh, certain Mark Twain things like I remember Tom reading uh, Hunchback Sorry. of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. that one too. Sure, sure. And, uh, and some of the versions that I found were probably abridged or for young adults. Right or whatever but they uh, led uh, me appetizer to, right? yeah right. that led me to read the uh, the full books when I got a little older but I, I, I started reading everything and then a lot of the books that I read though were related to the pulps because when I read uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs those books had all been published in the sure. pulps right, right you know and so I was influenced heavily by the pulps and I think it was the color the movement and uh, the pure act of storytelling. And then on the other hand, as time went on and I, and I grew older, I began to want to write better than a lot of the pulp right. stories were written. There were certainly great writers that came out of the pulps, like Ray Bradbury, Tennessee Williams even. Sure. Yeah. Um, McKinley Cantor came out of that. I mean, there's just tons of people who wrote for the pulps. And a lot of people don't know that Hemingway tried to write for the pulps and failed. <laughs> And I think even one or two of the stories he tried to write still exist. His stories know? didn't move as quickly. Yeah. But, but when I read Hemingway as a novelist and sure. short story writer and Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Steinbeck and, and then later Flannery O'Connor and Faulkner and all of these writers, it all blended with me so right. that I tried to write stories that had that pure, I guess what you would say, appeal of the pulps and of the genre fiction uh, type of stories with the more well-developed well characters and style and uh, the two I think are a marvelous match and I, and I think just in the last few years you're starting to see that a lot of novelists and a lot of short story writers that are not necessarily uh, that didn't actually grow up on the pulp so much, but have started using those elements. A lot of literary writers have used crime and and science fiction and fantasy to tell their stories. You know, because they, um, like yourself, and like uh, we didn't really know 
the different genres and what was class no, and what was literature. No, no, no. I, it I all read. came in, yeah, I just so read. it goes, and it comes parents, out My parents mixed. didn't divide it. I mean, I knew some that said, you know, you shouldn't read comics or you shouldn't read right. this kind of, this garbage or, or this. But for me, I was reading straight across the board with comics and genre and literary. I watched movies. Uh, there were there, When I was a kid, there were still a few radio shows. A lot of oh, people yeah. don't realize that they went on up into the early 60s. Wow. You know, like Suspense, I think The Shadow was around. Mm-hmm. And some of those, so I, I don't remember them well from that time, but I remember listening to them. Right. And then I remember later, and the soap operas uh, oh, continued for a while. My mom would listen to those. But then I remember later when I got the opportunity to, uh, you know, collect radio shows, I remember going, oh, yeah, I remember I, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. The, the feel of all of that of storytelling was just in my blood. Yes. So that's what went in, right? That's what so, went in. So what is your, uh, your, your work um, uh, discipline? How do, you, how do you get it out, and has it changed over the years? Well, when I first started, I was just trying to – I had that stupid idea that people just worked when – when they had the muse, so to speak, and I realized that you are the muse. Right. So anytime you want to write, you're it. You've got to do and it. And tag, you're it. And uh, the thing is, is that I found too that the things you wrote on the days you felt really inspired were not necessarily better than the things you wrote on the days when you didn't. So it was a feeling of euphoria, but it didn't necessarily result in any, anything, <laughs> right, anything right. any different. And uh, I think you get to where you've been doing it for a while. There's a level that you don't fall below. Uh, and uh, I really got to the point now for the last 25 years, I work about three hours a day. I get up in the morning, I write three to five pages is my limit. That doesn't mean I can't write 10 or 15 if right. it's there, but I'm generally through then. And wow. then I don't think about it. I don't plot. I don't, I, I don't make uh, outlines. I go to bed, get up the next morning, start writing right. again. So um, discover as I go. I want to go two ways first, mm-hmm. um, but sure, you do your three to five. Mm. But it's still in your head. Oh, of course. Right. So, because the writing goes but, on but, even when you're not at the good. Yeah, it does. But I pretty much have pushed. I, I'm very much a subconscious writer. Mm-hmm. I push it back so that it doesn't offend and my go, day. Go on with your life. Yeah, because <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I love that. Doesn't offend but, my day. Yeah, because the rest of the time before I would be thinking about it so much. When I started, I realized I'm not enjoying where I am right now. Right. And I don't want to do that. And I studied martial arts for 55 years, and mm-hmm. so that taught me a lot about discipline and about compartmentalization. Okay. And so I'm very, very good at that. That doesn't mean that I'm, if I'm walking around and I see something that j- jumps an idea that it, that it won't enter. It will. It's in there. And once in a while I'll be something obvious. I'll go, oh, okay, that would make a good story. Then, but it's not like it was before in an obvious conscious way. It's mostly subconscious. And that subconscious just sucks it in. Yeah. And yet, my conscious mind can go on with my day. I can do other things. I, I also, you know, I, I still do martial arts, and and I, I try to, um, uh, you know, do things related to film. And I work with my kids from time to time. They both also do writing as well as other mm-hmm. things. And so, for me, it's a better life that way. Oh, yeah. And my wife and I get to go do stuff, and I'm not sitting there always thinking about a story. Right. It doesn't mean it goes absolutely away, but at least it's much more the, livable. And some part in the back yeah. is working. Right, while you're and I get up the on. next morning. Yeah. It's like the well filled up, and I'm ready to go. Boom. Now, do you do a lot of rewriting or no? I rewrite as I go mostly, but when I get through, I do a heavy polish. 
It's okay. not quite a rewrite because everything's pretty close. And then when you turn to the editor, if they have a suggestion that makes sense, you do it. Oh, if yeah. you don't, you don't do it. Right. So when you say you're on day two, do you look at day one stuff yeah. before you start? Yeah. And then, but when you get to about day 20, then to go back and reread it, you spend no. all your whole day. Just the day before. Yeah. Nothing the really. day before. And then when I get about halfway, I stop and start at the first and read it all the way, way through. through. And then I continue from there. When I finish that, I'll usually start where I left off in the middle and read it all the way through. And then I read the whole thing one more time right. and then you know as you do if the editors they send it to you or even the proofreaders I tend to reread as much of it as is humanly possible right. you know there's a point when you gotta you gotta know how to let it go too yeah that takes a while yeah yeah now uh, you said you you discover as you go so you don't know your endings no you know once in a while one will pop up and I'll go okay I'm writing toward that but a lot of times even when I do that by the time I arrive there it's not bad is that that okay um, Happen Leonard seems to be uh, um, a well that has no bottom. I hope not. Right? It keeps going, and it's, yeah. it's such. It's fascinating to watch them grow together, and uh, you get you you almost and the readers get to that uh, level where um, it's like visiting old friends. Yeah. And that's really beautiful. That's stuff. really yeah. Um, do you have a look? I'm going to knock out uh, a Happen Leonard per year and some other thing, or is it? Is it just what what you know? It's just what comes to me. I mean, it's fantastic. not unusual for me to write uh, two and a half to three novels a year, right. or write a novel and a bunch of short stories, or articles, or screenplays, or teleplays, or comics. I mean, it just depends. You know, now, I, is been, that on demand, or is the uh, all you go and then it's so. stuff I just want to do, and then sometimes people say, "Do you want to do this?" And if I do, I do it. And if I don't, I don't. Uh, I did things for Batman the Animated Series, and those scripts were just great fun. You know, but it took me a week, and that was it. I was Mm -hmm. done. And uh, comic books, I'd write one a week. And uh, the, back then they were paying quite a bit. Sure. So, but I just, you know, I'd have done it almost for free. I mean, right. I don't tell them. It. No, I don't tell them. <laughs> but I loved all that stuff. It, it, when I wanted to, when I was four years old and I discovered comics, I knew I wanted to be a writer. And when I was a little bit older, I, I knew I wanted to be a martial artist. And I got both things that I wanted yes. most in life. And so I don't have gripes. I don't have this thing about someday I'm a gonna. Or, or that I'm bitter about that. I don't feel that way at all. I'm That's extremely a, happy with what I've done. And I'm a little bit unusual from a lot of other writers because I don't have that deep, you know, m- bad mood or feeling of melancholy sadness, melancholy. Or, I haven't got the whatever no. unknown. Fill but in the, when I the write, yeah. I can dip into any well I need to right. because they're all part of you. You know, they're all part of you. Everything but is But my yeah. basic personality is a very positive one. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much a, a critic of things. I'm skeptical of a lot of stuff, but I'm not a cynic. Right. Yeah. So, but um, that's interesting because uh, that sounds a little bit more like Hap than it does Leonard. Yeah, I am like Hap. I'd yeah, say more, I'm, I'd more say Hap I'm than Leonard. Yeah. So then when I'm, I'm ninety something percent Hap. Hap. Yeah. Uh, where's Where's Leonard come from? Leonard's got a little of me in him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, but he's also a number of other people I've known. He's more of a, a, a uh, combination. They're like okay. maybe a couple major people that affected it, and both black and white people mm-hmm. have become my guy. Cool. You know, and because uh, he's he's a black guy, and, and that's why I say both black and white. Because I didn't I didn't worry about that. I borrowed from people that I thought had interesting aspects to their character. Uh, you know, uh, I felt like too the part of me goes into that. So I'm I'm partly him, but half in that case I'm like ninety percent. I believe that. Uh... I, we I mean, are really part of every character. Right. Well, you are, yeah. yeah. And and uh, but I think there are some characters that are closer to your heart or that closer to who you are. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like me if I'd taken a few wrong turns. 
Okay, great. You know, I think that's it. <laughs> and of course, if I'd had a much more adventurous uh, life, sure, you know. Yeah. So um, obviously, people can pick up your stuff anywhere. Yeah, it's all over. But if they want to know uh, more about you, uh, do you do social media? Is I that... have a fan page on on Facebook. Okay. There's another page that seems to be attributed to me, but it's it's not. It's just some people. Fans yeah, doing yeah. That, yeah. But there's a, a fan page. That, that I answer everybody that I possibly can. I mm-hmm. can't always do it, but I right. manage to answer much of it. And I have a website, this joarlansdale.com. I'm on Twitter. Oh, you know, yeah. And I usually do both Twitter I, I, and Facebook every day when I'm traveling. I don't do Facebook at all. I just do the, the Twitter. How do you like Twitter? I, you know, I've always said this, and I mean it, is that I think that they are highly useful tools. Twitter has really actually increased my sales okay. tremendously, and Facebook helped quite a bit. But but the, if I had my choice, I wouldn't do any of them. Right. Because but uh, since they're here. Yeah, right. and I don't spend. I'm not somebody who spends hours on them. I'll go in and do 15, 20 minutes, and I can get more done than most people can in two or three hours. Now, are you more a writer and poster as opposed to a reader and reactor? On Twitter? I, uh, I a little both. A little both, yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. And you prefer Twitter to Facebook? Probably cool. it, just because it's short, but yeah. I think I like Facebook better in another way because I can actually, you know, spend more time dealing with people. And yeah, more like of a that. community. Yeah, more of a community. I, I find Twitter can, can be... Uh, it can be wonderful, but be annoying. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of the other stuff that's going on, I try to just stay away from that. I don't always, right. but I try to keep it in uh, the area where we're talking about uh, my work or talking right. about work that's associated to it or films and things we like or whatever. Yeah. You know. Cool. So last question, what's coming up? What's on? What's coming up right now is Tara is Our Business is out, a book I wrote with my daughter, and it is really doing well. It's, cool. it's from... Uh, uh, cutting block press and I think they're also called feral light I think that may be their o- their overall umbrella and that's out right now and uh, Jack Rabbit smile came out earlier this year that's so the it's latest a, it's available. forthcoming yes happen there forthcoming is driving to Geronimo's grave which is four maybe it's five novellas none are what not ones like the other they're all very different and then next year I have the elephant of surprise the new happen Leonard. Oh, fantastic. And then I'm leaving Happen Leonard alone for a while, mm-hmm. going off into the, the sticks to write other stuff. Uh, they keep whistling you back. Though. Yeah, they do. <laughs> They're very much a part of me, you know, because I've had 11 novels and I've had uh, two major collections of short stories. There's been variations of those collections, right. but there's really two major collections and the 11 novels, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with that. And I, I, I hope they keep talking to me, you know. Well, that's one day that's they quit me one one time for eight years, and and uh, then they quit for five years another wow. time. So. Well, as long as you forgive them and welcome yeah, them. Yeah, and I was, and I had other people visiting, so I was oh, writing yes, other their stories. Visiting. So thank you for your thank generous you. amount of time, and enjoy the rest of the uh, fest. I'm looking forward to your talking tonight. Thank you. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Well, that's it, everybody. Uh, happy 150th episode, Alex. Yes. And here's to uh, the future and yeah. moving on and many, seeing many. what we can do. So, uh, yeah. and everybody, let us know what you think yeah. about the interviews, about 150 episodes. Tell us, tell us what you like and what you don't like about Tell the Damn Story and how we can improve. And we, we promise to do our best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, here we go. Enjoy and peace. <laughs>